Father, we treasure your word tonight, Lord. We thank you for inspiration from the scriptures. We lift up your word. We exalt your word because your word changes us. Your word makes us more like you in every dimension. We thank you for revelation from your word, and we thank you especially for transformation, and we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Good things. Good things. Good things. Hallelujah. Apostle Lyon, I always like to salute you and thank you for giving me this invitation to come. These are great people, the people of Faith Center, to minister to you tonight. Uh, so thank you so much, team. I also want to honor a couple of other gentlemen that have come from uh, Wisconsin tonight. They are uh, my former pastor who uh, trained me up in uh, Beloit, Wisconsin. Jeremy Weathers is with us tonight. He's from uh, what used to be Faith Builders in Beloit and uh, is now called uh, Beloit Life Center. They changed the name recently, but uh, Pastor Jeremy Weathers and then, of course, uh, Pastor Mark Chauncey, great men of God that have come uh, to hear words tonight. Yeah, amen. Amen. I'm the kind of guy that gets right after the word because that's just the way it is. Time goes by so quickly up here. Uh, the message I'm going to be preaching tonight uh, actually was inspired earlier in the year. I did a, a, a short devotion at the Life Center, and it's one of those words that just keeps cooking in your heart and keeps growing and keeps building. And, and well, you get to hear it tonight. Hallelujah. But more than hear it, I pray that it will grab a hold of your heart and it will do something for you. If it's not for you, maybe it's to give away to someone else somewhere down the road. The name of the message, Beyond the Stone. Beyond the Stone. I know what that means, but Beyond the Stone. You see, stones are hard things. They're heavy things. They're hurtful things. Apostle Lyon has been preaching a collection of messages uh, in recent days talking about how the spirit man becomes complete when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord. The problem is not in the spirit. The problem is in the soul. The problem's in the soul. I mean, we can have problems in our body. Usually that's from the soul as well. So we really got to get this soul thing down. We got to get it down right. Hallelujah. I'm going to be preaching for a little while tonight from the 11th chapter of the book of John. It is a story we call it of a man named Lazarus. But I want to preface everything I'm about to preach tonight by saying this. Lazarus was not, he is not, and he never will be the centerpiece of John chapter 11. The centerpiece of John chapter 11 is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Get that in your heart. And I say that tonight because I want to challenge you that every time you approach the Word of God, whether you read it or study it or hear it, even as you're listening tonight, I want to challenge you to always say, where is Jesus at? What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus doing? Because his word is emphatic. It says, listen, hallelujah. If we do what Jesus did with a heart of faith, we can expect to get what Jesus got. And folks, we are far too deep into the harvest right now to be wasting any time. We must get after God's work. Hallelujah. But I pray the message will build faith in your heart tonight that God Almighty has equipped you and he desires for us to live beyond our hard thing. I don't want to get into naming a lot of hard things and heavy things and hurtful things we deal with because I'll miss somebody for sure. You know what it is that you struggle with, with the thing that's been on your heart. But let me prove something just by two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, that shows you that it is God's will for us to be successful. It is God's will for us to do good. It is God's will for us to be healed. It is God's will for us to be whole. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the great scriptures. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. In the New International Version, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. He wants to prosper us. And then in the third uh, uh, book of John, John chapter, John, third John, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So God says that's where it's going to start. It's going to work its way out into every dimension of our life. The word prosper there means to be successful. Just simple. That God has called us to be successful. He wants us to have successful marriages. He wants us to have successful businesses. He wants us to have successful ministries. Successful in every dimension. You name it. You fill in the blank. God has called us to be successful people. And he says, beloved, I wish above all things. Not some things, not many things, but above all things that thou would prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So we see that in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. God wants us to be successful. God wants to prosper us. What gets in the way? Our soul gets in the way. Again, the name of the word beyond the stone. I, I felt the Lord saying to me, Mark, too many of my people spend their lives behind the stone when I have called them to live and equipped them to live, and it's my will for them to live beyond the stone. But they've decided to live life behind the stone. Now listen, you can go down to any prison in America, and you can ask the convicts in there, oh, what's life like behind the stone? You know what they'll tell you? They will tell you, listen, it's a place where you're confined. It's a place of restriction. It's a place where you lose your authority. It's a place where you're alive, but you're not free. And I've come tonight to tell you, God has called you to live beyond the stone and not behind the stone. Amen. He's called you to live beyond the stone, that hard thing that keeps getting in the way. He doesn't want you to struggle with that. Then there's another group of, of people, even believers, that have decided to live life beneath the stone. You know, that is to say that they carry this unbelievably heavy weight all the time. When the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. You know, the word careth there means he's interested in you. All oh, that the God of glory, think about that one second. He's interested in you, ma'am. He's interested in you. He's interested in the things of you. Then there's another group of people that want to live life between the stones, you know, between the rock and the hard place. Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, God has not called us to stay there and to dwell there. Listen, there's roadblocks on the way to blessing. There's potholes on the road to blessing. There's speed bumps. But God is supercharging his people right now and healing his people so that, listen, in this last days, we can do this work and do it right. Matthew 11. See, between the stones, you've got this intense pressure. You've always got this pressure. Am I talking to somebody in here tonight that feels like they're always under this pressure? When the word says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You're going to find rest in your souls when you take it upon. And then one other group, by the way. 
And that's the people that have decided to live life beside the stone. You see, they always want their hard thing within reach. They've kind of gotten used to it over the time, you know. Ah, they just don't want to give it up. I'm talking about strongholds. I'm talking about addictions. I'm talking about generational issues. I'm talking about attitudes. I'm here tonight to tell you, to set this word up, to tell you that God has called us to live beyond all this stuff. Hallelujah. Amen. So, I'm going to speak seven keys into your heart tonight to wholeness that will take you beyond the stone if you follow these keys. Now, beginning at verse number one from the 11th chapter of the book of John. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus. He was from Bethany, you know, beyond the Jordan River, the home of Mary and her sister Martha. I want to highlight three words as I began to build this foundation here. They are the words sick, they are the word Lazarus, and the word Bethany on verse 1. The word sick in the Greek is the word asthaneho. It is a beautiful sounding word, isn't it? Asthaneho. But folks, it means sick. It means ill. It means feeble. It means weak. But it's all, all those things are encapsulated by a deeper and more profound meaning. It means to be powerless. Lazarus was powerless. But I want you to know something before we get too, too far into this thing. Lazarus died before Jesus went to the whipping post and took his stripes up on our back. Lazarus died before Jesus was crucified. And Lazarus died before Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. You and I cannot use that old excuse that we are powerless. We are not powerless. We have all power and it begins from the day you get saved. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, the Lord of glory, to them gave he the power to become sons of God, the power to become sons of God, even unto them which believe on his name. You've got power on the inside of you. You're dangerous. Look at your neighbor and say, You're dangerous, folks. You're dangerous. Hallelujah. You're dangerous in a good way. You're dangerous. My son Tyler is sitting right there. He's 20 years old. He goes into the army in January, praise God. When Tyler was six years old, I watched this happen. We went to my mother's house one day after uh, a church. When I came through the door, I could hear my mother in her bedroom groaning, just really agonizing in pain. She stayed home from church that day. She said, son, will you come and pray for me? I said, mom, I'll be there just a minute. Let me fix the boys something to eat. And... So Tyler slipped off from the kitchen and went in to see his grandmother. And when he came around her bed, he, she looked at him and she said, Tyler, would you pray for me? Would you pray for grandma? That little six-year-old boy laid his hands on grandma. Now he heard certain words coming out of the, our church. He heard certain words coming out of great men and women of God that he got around. I don't even know what he's saying, but he, God honored his faith. He said, Satan, I rebuke you. Take your hands off my grandmother in Jesus' name. I'm preparing the sandwich. I turn around and there's my mama standing in the kitchen. I said, I said, Mom, I'm coming. I'll be right with you. She said, there's no need, son. There is no need, son. There is no need, son. Little Tyler came in here a minute ago and she began to tell me all what he had done. Listen, how did that happen? That power was in him. It's in him. It's in you. It's, it's, it's in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Lazarus, his name literally means whom God helps. That's a good name, isn't it? You know, I don't like the name Lazarus per se. I wouldn't name any of my kids that name, but I happen to like what it translates as, whom God helps. 
Can I talk to somebody in here tonight that there's a part of you that knows God will do anything for you. God will help you. God will be there for you. But somehow you've been sick so long, perhaps you can't seem to get victory. I'm here tonight to tell you, you must declare the word of the Lord. You must stand. Hallelujah. He's on your side. Hallelujah. And then the word Bethany. The word Bethany means a house of affliction. It means the house of misery. Man, do you get that out of Bethany? Do a word study one time. That's what it means. We're going to come back to that word in just a minute. But it means the house of affliction, the house of misery. Now, verse 2. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Listen, that's the inspiration for this word, that the one you love is sick. God has not called us to be sick in any way, any dimension. The one you love is sick. God is saying, listen, it is time to go beyond that stone in your life, that hard place, that hard, that harassing place. It's time to get beyond that and be healed. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, this is verse 7, let us go back to Judea. Can I camp on this scripture just for a second? He said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Listen, Jesus is talking about more than just taking a trip here. (laughs) See, that's the problem. You know, people have been tripping too long. Jesus is talking about more than just taking a trip here, folks. There's a prophetic meaning here. You see, when I looked up the word Judea, I said, what is this word exactly? What does it mean? Judea is a region of the lower hemisphere of of Israel. It's a region. And it comes from one of Jacob's sons, Judah. Judah, his name means praise. His name means praise. So when I looked up Judea, it said the same as Judah. Here's your first key to wholeness here. Jesus said, let us go back to Judea. Can you remember a time perhaps that you know people, maybe yourself, where your arms used to be lifted high and you were praising him. Suddenly the hard thing began to come, the heavy thing, the hurtful thing, and suddenly the arms began to get a little wavery. They began to fall a little bit, and pretty soon they were limp by your side. I'm here tonight to tell you that God has called us to go back to Judea. He has called us to go back to a place of praise. That's where victory comes. And if you don't have praise in your spirit, then I need, you need to get praise in your spirit. You do. I tell you, one of the ways I get praise in my spirit is I begin to think about all the names of God and I begin to quote his names. I begin to let El Elyon rise up in my spirit and El Shaddai and El Elohim and Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Makadesh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Rama, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu. They all mean something. They're just not names. They mean something. Oh, I think about he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's my God. You serve the same God? Hallelujah. That he is Christ, that he is the crucified one, and he is the risen one, that he is the door. He's my everything. He's Emmanuel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That he's the good shepherd, that he is the great I am, and he's the great physician. Oh, that's my God. 
Oh, I want to do backflips right now. Hallelujah, because he's an awesome God. That his name is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the light of the world. Hallelujah. He is the Lamb of God and the Son of God and the Son of Man and the Son of David. He's all of those things. They make me happy on the inside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's the lily of the valley, the bright morning star, the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord, thank you, Lord. He is the word, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way in, he's the way up, and he's the way through, and he is the way out of your situation. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. So the first key is we must praise him. You praise him when you get in your hard place. You praise him when you get under this heaviness. You begin to praise him. Don't wait till he brings you out. Begin to praise him in the midst of all these things. Hallelujah. I'm getting too happy too fast, I think. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. He said, he said it's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for there is no light in him. Jesus is telling him, listen, guys, let me talk to you a second here. There's two kingdoms. I'm going to make it plain for you. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of night. And you're going to be operating in one of those kingdoms. Kingdoms have principles. All these African people can tell you about kingdoms. Hallelujah. They have principles, don't they? They, have, they operate by principles. Hallelujah. The second key is you must walk in kingdom of light principles. Now, I really felt the Lord say this in my spirit, that too many of his people that he loves and cherishes and adores are trying to, uh, they're walking in kingdom of night principles and expecting kingdom of light results. And folks, let me tell you something. Your miracle is going to be in motion for a long time. You've got to operate in kingdom of light principles. Hallelujah. The kingdom of light represents grace. The kingdom of night represents law. See, there's always this battle of law and grace that we talk about. You can't walk in this law and, this, and grace at the same time. See, the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. See, he came to Jesus full of the law. He came to Jesus full of religion. He came to Jesus full of works. He was a Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law. He was a keeper of the law. He was a sincere man, but he was sincerely wrong. He was highly devoted to the things of God. But he was profoundly lost and without God. Operating in kingdom of night principles is why. And it will bring about frustration. God has not called us to be frustrated. Hallelujah. He's called us to rest, folks. That's what I did this afternoon. I went home while the family was chowing on pizza in the other room. And I'm in my bed just resting. Hallelujah. He's called us to rest. When the woman was caught in the very act of adultery, the Pharisees themselves were the ones who chased her into the courtyard with Jesus. What did they have in their hands? They had stones. This is a real good time for her to get the message of beyond the stone, isn't it? Hallelujah. On this side of the grave, the stones represented the law. The law. And Jesus did not set her free by the stones, he set her free by grace. Great grace. So we got to walk in these kingdom of light 
principles. Walk in grace. Speak grace over your life. Speak grace over your family. Speak grace over your past. Speak grace over your church. Speak grace over your business. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that they might believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I love what I heard a minister say one time about that scripture. He said, Thomas sure didn't have any faith, but he sure had commitment. Amen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, verse 18 is a very short verse, but it is powerful. All it says was Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. I want you to get this in your heart tonight. Bethany, remember, that is the house of affliction. That is the house of misery. And everybody has walked through that at one time or another. But I've come tonight to tell you, your house of affliction, your house of misery is less than two miles from Jerusalem. You are closer than you know. You're closer than you know. You're closer than you can even imagine. You're close to your house. Listen, Jerusalem is the city of peace. So that affliction and that misery is less than, listen, I could crawl two miles if I had to. You're closer than you know. Hallelujah. You've got to persevere. Don't you give up. Don't you give up on your promises. Don't give up on what God has promised you. God has spoken to you and whispered into the chambers of, the, of your room and he spoke certain promises. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on Faith Center. Don't give up on that building out there. Don't give up on this land. It's coming, folks. It's coming. We're less than two miles from Jerusalem, the city of peace. Hallelujah. See, that's the third key. You've got to persevere. Hallelujah. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Oh, I got to get into Martha now. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is more than a statement, folks. This is an attitude. Martha is demanding an, an answer. You see, that's what law does. When you walk into principles of law, it always demands, but it is grace that supplies Law is always demanding you do this. It's rigid. It's stiff. It doesn't give any breaks whatsoever. It's always that way. But grace, great grace. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Hallelujah. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. Here's what she said at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That life is Zoe, of course. It means the real deal, folks. It's the real thing. It's genuine. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Now, verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the most wonderful question, do you believe this? Let me read it again. And whoever lives, generalized. Do you believe personalized? You got to approach Jesus that way. You got to approach God that way on a personal level. 
You've got to approach him that way. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place, uh, when she reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The fourth key to go and be on your stone is quit blaming other people. Don't blame other people. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hallelujah. Maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> Last, um, when my wife was first saved, she was uh, about 30 years ago, the Lord planted her in a Nazarene church in Burlington, Wisconsin, and she began to grow and develop there. She became friends with the, the pastor's wife. Her name, interestingly enough, is Martha. Martha loved and loves my wife, and my wife loves Martha. Martha loved my wife so much, she even gave her youngest daughter my wife's middle name. A few years went by, and they responded to a new assignment in Ohio, and the family relocated and moved there. A few days in front of Christmas last year, I came home, and the answer machine was blinking, and I touched the button. It was Martha. Martha called to tell us that the very girl that she had named after my wife, you ready for this? Her daughter's name, Bethany. She called to tell us that Bethany had been killed in a car accident, 25 years of age. I saw her picture on Facebook. I've, I've never met her, an absolute model of a woman. Beautiful young lady had been killed in a car accident. She went on to say in the same breath that Bethany's son, three-year-old son, was in the car as well. His name, Jordan, had also been killed in that same wreck. At the end of the message, she went on to say, I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. Now, I've got a question for you that's rising in my heart tonight. How in the world do you wish anybody a Merry Christmas when an 18-wheeler has just taken the life of your Bethany and your Jordan? How do you do that? I'm going to tell you how you do that. She was able to look beyond her Bethany. She was able to look beyond her Jordan. You see, when Martha was a, a young girl coming up through college, Martha worked for a funeral home part-time. And she met with the funeral director that held the bodies of her Bethany and her Jordan. She said, I want to assist with this. So the process began. Martha helped place her Bethany in the casket. 
And she said, we're going to put little Jordan in there as well. And the funeral director said, no, we, we should put him in a separate one. No. That, see, that's Martha for you. No, they're going together, she said. She said, listen, I brought her into this world, and I can take her out. What an attitude. So she prepared. They had to lay Bethany on her one side. And then he took her arm, and they brought it around her little three-year-old Jordan and tucked him in. Bethany's husband remembered that recently Bethany had, been, had received a pair of stiletto boots. If you know what I'm talking about, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Those big heels, you know what I'm talking about, five, six-inch heels. And Bethany's husband insisted that she be buried in those boots. When they took him to the funeral home, the funeral director said, we'll just put him in the casket down underneath there by her feet. And Martha rose up and said, oh no, we're putting him on Bethany. I want you to try to get that picture in your heart for a second. They struggled trying to pull those boots on her. And Martha broke out in the most hilarious laugh as she was doing that. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. Martha said, listen, for such a time as this, I was placed upon the earth to hear the voice of God and do his will, whatever it is. Here's the next key. You've got to face your hard things your heavy things, and your hurtful things. She laid her Bethany aside. And then she crossed her Jordan. She crossed it. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. We know John 35 to be the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. Did you know that there were three types of tears that the human body makes? Yeah, there are. There are basal tears, reflex tears, and emotional tears. Basal tears are the tears that we make when we just blink. You know, to lubricate our eyes. Reflex tears come from when we're experiencing allergies. It's to, the body generates a different type of tear to flush that eye out. And then there are emotional tears when we're caught in the, in the, um, the grip of a, a particular emotion, a deep emotion. I want to ask you a question tonight. Which tear was Jesus experiencing? Which tear was running down his face? The, t- the word wept there is the word in the Greek, dekruo. It means a tear. And it means to shed tears silently. See, all the other weeping that was going on around Jesus, Martha, Mary, the mourners, now the Messiah, all weeping, their tears were differently. They were wailing loudly. Cleo is the word for that one. But Jesus wept silently. So, ask yourself this question. What emotion was driving the tear that came out of Jesus's? I. We cry when we're happy. We cry when we're sad. We cry when we're afraid. We cry when we're lonely. Was it one of those types of tears? It wasn't, folks. I know we want to believe that Jesus was sad. Listen, 
doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Because even Jesus had told several people who had lost loved ones, do not weep over them. They have went to a better place. Don't weep when I can call them back. It's celebration time. He told the, the woman from Nain that, who had lost her son. The key is found in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. The word deeply moved means to snort with anger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I didn't make this up. It means to snort. That Je- what, he wasn't mad at the people. God doesn't get mad. He's not mad at you. He's mad at religion. I mean, because religion kills. It's the relationship that brings life. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Hallelujah. So what was he disturbed about? If we go back to verse 23, Jesus is having this dialogue. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, you see, Lord, hallelujah, Lord. When you see the resurrection only as an event. That's what religion does. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. You've got to quit looking at things just as events. That's what religion does. That's a calendar for you, folks. And see him for what he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And they saw it just simply as an event. You know, the last day somewhere, we know. Jesus said, then Jesus said, see, or excuse me, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man and have kept this man from dying? Hallelujah. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And here's what he said. He said, take away the stone. I'm here tonight to tell you God has called you to live beyond that stone. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Hallelujah. Do you know why Lazarus did not come forth when he took away the stone? Because Lazarus was still dead. You see, the motion of the stone, which represents the law, the Ten Commandments, the motion of the stones cannot bring life. It was when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. When grace spoke into his heart, that's when life came and that's when Lazarus came walking out of the tomb. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I want you to know something. He knows your name. He knows your name. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The seventh key is to speak life. Speak grace everywhere you go. 
Speak grace. Let it fill the air. Let it flood the air. Even in spite of persecution, you got to speak grace. Hallelujah. I want to close by saying this. I want to talk to you about something else that was hard. Something else that was heavy. Something else that was hurtful, folks. And it was and is the cross. The cross. It was a hard thing. I'm not talking because it was old and rugged. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is the night that Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane making his decision to go to the cross. Listen, in the midst of tough times, we still need to make the right decision. In the midst of hard places, we need to do it right. Hallelujah. It was a hard thing for him. It was a heavy thing. Jesus, under the weight of the cross, collapsed. And Simon of Cyrene had to carry his cross the rest of the way to Golgotha. It was a heavy thing. Oh, but it wasn't just the weight of the cross. It was the weight of sin that would be placed upon our Savior so that he could set us free, that we'd no longer live under the law, but we live under grace, great grace. And then it was a hurtful thing. And I'm talking about something beyond just the spikes that went into his hands and his feet and the spear in his side and the crown of thorns upon his head. I'm talking about the fact and the truth that there come a moment on the cross where Jesus cried out in Aramaic, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a hurtful thing. And ultimately, he gave up his life. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is the grace, it is the grace of God that takes the stone from us. Hallelujah. Oh, but let me me say this. Let's get beyond the stone. Let's get beyond the stench. Let's get beyond the separation. Let's get beyond those things. And let's get to the supper in chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Hallelujah. Can you get this picture? Mary, always at the feet of Jesus. This is not her debut at his feet, but it might be the last time. She got down to his feet. She got on her knees. And the Bible says she poured out, she poured out the perfume on him. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. I love this because it it just shouts her heart as saying, Lord, you see, a woman's hair is, in the Old Testament was her glory. She was saying, Lord, my glory is not good enough. I want the glory that's on you to get on me. Hallelujah. And then the Bible says, then, then the house was filled 
You're the house. You're the temple. Then the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Hallelujah.